welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Other Identity. Week f four, four, five in quarantine. Uh, ben, where are we in quarantine now? It's all starting to blur together for me. Who knows anymore? Uh, yes, nice to talk to you, Robbie. But yeah, I was I was teaching online the other day because um, I am still Professor Awesome, as you are the great Landis. But uh, I was teaching online the other day, and one of my students said, wow, it's been a month of this. And oh, I tried geez. to go back and track it and figure it out. And there was a week that I was on spring break, quote unquote, where I was just prepping my classes to go online. And then there's been, this is the third week of online instruction. So that would mean it's been roughly a month that we've been dealing with this situation in terms of the quarantine. Obviously, different depending where you are in the country. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, roughly three to four weeks that we've been uh, we've been experiencing this lifestyle. It does not seem like it's been quite that long. I mean, you know, like, like you said, you have classes still that, that you do during the week that I, that I guess, you know, help sort of break it up for you. Uh, you know, but for me, it's the same thing. I wake up, I come into my computer to work, and I'm still working through the weekend as well because of, uh, you know, following stuff like Overwatch League and, you know, the news and esports and, and gaming and comics never really dies out. But, oh, I just, that, that, that blows my mind. Yeah, it's funny because I'll, I'll say to my wife, I even said to my wife this morning, I go, oh man, it's been a long week. I can't wait for, it's the weekend tomorrow because I don't have Friday classes and I can kind of relax a little bit. But she's just like, how do you how do you still distinguish the fact that there's a weekend? And I was like, there there is for me. Like there's still weekdays where I have classes and meetings and like I've been... I've been very active. Like I, I, I'm on Zoom like three times a day, which wow. I'm, which I'm not complaining about. It's it's great because it helps me break up the day. And then when I get a chance, it's it's basically all I've lost. I feel like is my commute. Like I don't have the commute anymore. I still have the classes. I still have the meetings. Um, it's just nice because when I'm done, I can just walk upstairs and. Also, you know, I can, you know, wear pajama pants when I'm teaching and stuff like that. That's <laughs> what I'm wearing right now. Yeah. So uh, do you feel like, because I'm in the same boat, it's literally just the commute that I've lost. Do you mm -hmm. feel like you're more productive at home or less productive? I feel like I'm learning to be as productive. I don't think there's necessarily a steep climb or drop off. Um, I am really uh, learning to enjoy doing these, uh, these online classes, though, because I think I mentioned this on an earlier episode when I was first starting out. The students are very responsive when you're sitting there and you can see all their faces on the screen. They tend to uh, they tend to talk, so that's been going well. But as far as productivity, um, it's it's hard. It's hard to you know really dig in. Like I'll say I'll say this, um, and this ties into our subject matter, is that I've I've spoken on the show before about how I'm writing a graduate paper about Watchmen, the TV series, and for me to sit down and try to write like a page or two is probably more difficult at home than it would be if I was in the office because, you know, again, I have a young daughter, she's running around and it's, it, it can be tough to get stuff done, but not a huge drop off. And in terms of my productivity of reading comics, way up, way, <laughs> way, way up. So that's, that's a bonus. Yeah, mine, mine's kind of a mixed bag there. Uh, I always felt like I wrote better at home because at the office, you know, in, in cubicles, people are always talking and, and sure. vying for your attention. There's all types of stuff going on. Um, but uh, I, I agree. As far as 
as far as the the stuff that I'm immersing myself in, whether it's comics, whether it's esports, whether it's video games, I'm getting so much more done. I mean, in the past few weeks, I've managed to knock out both me- the first two Metro games. I'm playing Animal Crossing. I'm still playing World of Warcraft. I'm reading through ten to fifteen uh, comics a day. I think I'm I'm over. I'm somewhere like 120 issues deep into our. Uh, DC Rebirth Era Challenge uh, reading list. Uh, actually just started the Suicide Squad uh, today. Um, that actually brings me into what, what I'd like to talk about here for, for segment one. You'll kind of talk about what, what we've been reading recently. And of course, for me, and probably a little bit for you, it's probably the DC Rebirth stuff. Um, there there were two issues. Uh, one of them was uh, in Superman, and the other one was... Uh, oh, no, I'm completely blank. Oh, uh, Teen Titans. That didn't really have anything going on, right? There wasn't no big threat. There wasn't no big, you know, thing that they had to fight. For the Superman one, it was basically just uh, uh, Clark and his family at, like, the state fair. And then for the Teen Titans, it was actually the Teen Titans deciding to break up after uh, uh, the death of Red Robin. And nothing really happened in them. They were basically just talking about stuff that, that happened. But, you know, it, it really drove home a point for me that that I think a lot of people... Not even outside of comics or even outside of the superhero sort of um, lifestyle don't really get that what makes heroes and superheroes and comics interesting isn't actually the powers themselves. It's, it's, it's just how human they are. It's the stuff that we can relate to, right? And for me, it's not being able to turn into an animal or shoot laser beams out of your eyes. It's seeing how they deal with the everyday stuff, seeing how they deal with grief, and and just the way that they process that that makes me feel closer to them than anything else. It's funny you bring that up, and I agree with you 100%, because I'm one of the things I'm doing is I'm rereading the Marv Wolf and George Perez New Teen Titans series from the 80s. And one of my favorite issues of the entire run, I forget if it's seven or eight, but it's very early on, uh, it's called A Day in the Lives. And basically, you, you've gotten to know some of these characters. Cyborg, Raven, Starfire are still new. And then you've got Robin, Wonder Girl, Kid Flash, Changeling. But they spent like their first few issues like fighting all the time. They're fighting the Gordanians, these alien race. They're fighting Deathstroke the Terminator. They're fighting Trigon. And there's not really a moment to breathe. And then they do this issue, A Day in the Lives, which is literally just a series of vignettes. It's like Donna Troy at her job, Starfire going out to lunch, uh, Cyborg going going to Central Park. And on the surface, you're like, oh my God, this sounds like such a drag after we're just, just seeing like this huge interdimensional battle with demons. But it's amazing because it clicks in. Like there's a moment where Cyborg is still coming to grips with the fact that he looks the way he does. And he's in Central Park and this, he, he, and it's important that earlier in the issue he had gone to see an old girlfriend and she basically rejected him because he's a quote unquote freak now. And He's in the park and this kid comes up to him and he's like, oh no, this kid's going to be scared of me. And the kid's like, wow, mister, like your prosthetic is so cool. And he reveals that he has a prosthetic hand. And it turns out there's this whole group of kids who all have like prosthetics and they think Cyborg is the coolest thing they've ever seen. And he goes and plays baseball with them. And it's just like, it's such a sweet little moment. And this is a character who I've known for maybe six issues, but now I feel close to him, kind of playing off what you were describing. Yeah. Those are the moments that make me feel like, all right, I know this character. Like, I want to watch them. I want to watch them punch a supervillain, but I also, I'm invested in their personal lives. And I think that's 
hugely important. Well, if it wasn't for being invested in the characters themselves, I don't know that comic books would have stayed around as long as they would, because if it's just punching aliens every single issue and, there, and there's no heart to it, it gets old really fast. But, you know, as you're sitting here telling, you know, this this story, that that is an amazing cyborg story, by mm -hmm. the way. Um, you know, one of the one of the ones that popped up into my head that, that's kind of stuck with me for the past few days was, uh, you know, an issue of Superman in Rebirth where, you know, Lois is, is out doing something so she's not home when John gets there. Right, I saw you mention and, this online. Yeah, and, 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 you know, he's kind of really sad and down about it. And so Clark sits down and talks to him about, you know, this this might happen a little bit more, you know, coming up with you, as your mom goes back to work. But her not being here doesn't mean that she loves you any less. You know, she needs to be feel fulfilled in her life as well. And it's just, it's this really powerful and, and this really intimate, like, father-son moment that has nothing to do with powers whatsoever, but, you know, it sticks with me longer than, you know, the the fight that he had with Aquaman or, or whatever. And, you know, people that look at superhero, you know, movies or comics and just go, oh, it's, you know, escapism, which it is, you know, to, sure. some, to some point. But uh, uh, I recall, who was it? It was, what uh, uh, are the, 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 the older, you know, uh, 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 sort of top-level directors? I'm not sure if it was Spielberg or not. But who said that, you know, he, he had made a com comment on Black Panther that, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that, that young men, you know, look into this movie, you know, and, and getting hope and, and, you know, you know feeling some sort of inspiration from it, you know, should be looking elsewhere because yep. that's not how, that's not what real life is. It right? was, it was Martin Scorsese, which that's devas who it was. devastated me because he's one of my favorite directors. Yes. And the fact that he said this, I was just like, oh, Marty, come on, man, get it together. Yeah. And, and I think what people fail to understand like that is is we're not watching it and seeing it and going, oh yeah, I wish that I had, you know, the Black Panther suit and I wish I had Wakanda technology because that's not, that. first of all, to me, that's not even what makes superheroes superheroes because normally in their best stories, they're defeated first, right? Right, they, they have to come back. They, right, they have this moment where, where they don't think that they can do it. Even with all of their powers, that wasn't enough to get them through, to get them over the challenge. And it's the human side of them that makes them come back, try again, to rise to the occasion. Yes, obviously they have superpowers as well, but what draws us to them is the fact that these incredible gods, essentially, the powers alone aren't enough to make them the heroes. It's that human side of them that makes them keep coming back over and over and over again to overcome these challenges that draw us to them. Yeah, I think of that classic uh, Spider-Man moment from early on in the uh, the Stan Lee run where he's basically uh, trapped under uh, under all this rubble. They recreated it for, for Spider-Man Homecoming. But basically, he's he's got the power, but he needs to believe in himself and he needs to... He needs to take the inspiration that he got from Uncle Ben. He needs to think about the people he cares about, like Aunt May, and that's what allows him to overcome and succeed and escape. And, and that's what makes a hero, is not the, the powers or even the costume. It's, it's the heart, and that's what's important. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Tom Holland as Spider-Man in Homecoming, it's a good segue into the next segment. We're actually going to be talking about some of the best on-screen performances that we think are better than the characters that have actually been shown in the comics. There aren't a whole lot of them, but the ones that are there, I think, are absolutely superb. That's coming up next on The Other Identity. <laughs> 
Hey, what's up? I'm Robbie from Checkpoint XP. And I'm Jake from the Overwatch League casting team. And together, we're your hosts of the Owl's Nest. With the Overwatch League up and running again, we'll be bringing you all the latest from the League and within Overwatch. But it's important that we all do our part to flatten the curve by staying home during the COVID-19 outbreak. So stay home. Stay healthy. And we'll see you every Friday night on the Owl's Nest before the Overwatch League weekend. Check it out at the Checkpoint XP YouTube channel or at CheckpointXP.com. Students are playing more video games than ever, and that's not a bad thing anymore. With Checkpoint XP on campus, you can peek into the world of college, esports, and gaming. We talk to personalities in the space like Phasix, who retired from the Overwatch League to join a college team, or thought leaders like James O'Hagan of the Academy of Esports, who's leading the charge on blending education and video games. It's not all black holes and floss dances. Games can lead to college scholarships, and we can tell you where on Checkpoint XP on campus. Welcome back to The Other Identity, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure that you're following us on social media. That is Checkpoint XP on Twitter and Facebook. You can also find me at Robbie underscore Landis CP on Twitter and Ben at Ben J-M-O-R-S-E. We're constantly talking about comic books, uh, mostly DC stuff right now, Reign of the Superman. Uh, But we'd love to be able to hear your guys' opinions, your takes on what it is that we're reading. Here's some of your favorite thoughts as well. Uh, On top of that, if you happen to have Animal Crossing and a Switch, I have been uh, posting all sorts of cool custom creations that are comic book themed on both the Checkpoint Twitter and my own. So make sure you go and follow and check that out. Robbie, can you just real quickly, before we dive into this segment, explain that I did, because I want to boost my gamer cred a little bit and just, (laughs) just say that... You and I did have a legitimate conversation about uh, old school RPG uh, games, and that I that I I proved at least a little bit that I that I played this stuff. Sure, sure. Thanks. Before before the show, we talked a little bit about Final Fantasy and Fantasy Star Online. So he's got a little bit of cred there, but little, we'll work on very that little, up. very yeah, little. Sure. But I just I just wanted that uh, that boost from you. Thank you. So I don't even actually know how this. The idea for this segment came about, or it was or your idea. Originally, and I know it was my idea, but I don't know where <laughs> I got it from. Right? I, I, yeah. I know that I'm pretty sure that someone somewhere else, or something that I read, had implanted it. Oh, I know exactly what it was. There was a uh, Twitter discussion going around about who gives the most inspirational speeches between Optimus Prime and Captain America, and all of the tweets that I had saw thought that it was Optimus Prime, and the clip that they used as their proof was I think from the fourth movie when he's trying to convince the uh, uh, the Dinobots to help him out. And he's basically like, if you know you don't help, the world will fall. And if you don't help, you'll answer to me. And then he starts fighting uh, uh, the T-Rex one. And I'm like, that's not it. Like, <sighs> if he has to fight, his words didn't work. That means his speech didn't work. That's a terrible example. <laughs> and then I just started thinking of Chris Evans as Captain America. You know, I've sure. never been the biggest fan of Cap in the comics. I've, I've thought that he's very sort of cardboard, very cut and dry. Uh, he comes off as more sort of rigid and more of like that military guy, you know, in, in, in the comics. And Chris Evans in the movie has this this softness to him, like, like this real – you can tell he cares, mm-hmm. right? And I've never got that from the cap in comics. And so I want to talk about this idea of, because it, I don't think it happens often, that the on-screen version of a character is one of the 
best representations of a character. And I mean, with 80 years of comic history to draw from, you know, there's going to be in, in so many writers, so many artists, so many creators, you know, putting their own spin on it, you know, the, the chance that, you know, the one version from a movie or a TV show would stack up to them or outpace them, I think, is, you know, a million to one. But in some cases, it does work. And, and for me, I think Captain America... You know, Chris Evans' Captain America is one of those. And I just, you know, I wanted to get your thoughts and your opinions on that idea. I'll throw a big one out uh, that's kind of the perfect counterpoint to you talking about Captain America. And that's, with all due respect to everyone who created Iron Man stories prior to 2008, I have never read one that resonated with me the way Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in the original Iron Man did. I think the cinematic Iron Man was, to date, the best Iron Man we've ever seen. And I think the great Iron Man stories that have come in the comics since 2008 were largely influenced by Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, by the work that everyone who, who put into that movie. So I think both Cap and Iron Man, the linchpins of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, are better portrayed in a lot of cases in the, in the screen. And again, that's no, that's no shade on great Captain America stories, great Iron Man stories, but I think that there is something fully realized about what Downey did with Iron Man under uh, under the direction of um, the people working on it that I think was just remarkable. I can't argue that one either. And honestly, I don't have a whole lot of, I think, experience reading from Iron Man prior to the MCU, but you're right. Now, whenever I, you know, read about him in the comics, like, like you can tell that that's... <laughs> Like that's Robert Downey Jr. Like, like yeah. period. Yeah, and I, I forgot the the name I was blanking on was John Favreau, obviously yes. the original yep. director of Iron Man. <laughs> um, I wanted to kind of catch that up, but yeah, I think not only that. If think about this, Iron Man is an example of this, but a really great example of it is Pepper Potts. Uh, Pepper Potts, prior Ooh. to the movie, is basically just you know love interest out of central casting in the Iron Man comics. She's she's a Silver Age character who doesn't have a lot of depth. Then Gwyneth Paltrow portrays her, and we start seeing her do cool stuff in the comics, you know, becoming Rescue and doing all this other stuff. I mean, again, this is not to say there had never been any good Pepper Potts stories prior to 2008, but I think Pepper Potts was a huge improvement on screen over the page when she came out. I think the other one that, that I would probably put right on par with Chris Evans as Captain America uh, is John Bernthal's uh, Punisher. Right. Um, in the comics, the, the, the Punisher never interested me much outside of the fact that he's like, okay, he's this badass that literally just causes wanton destruction. I never cared as a character for Frank Castle. Uh, and he was always just, just this, this absolute brute. But in, you know, a similar way to, to what Chris Evans did for Captain America. And also going back to the discussion we had in the first segment about, you know, heart and caring for these, these characters as people and as human beings, the Netflix version of the Punisher painted him as such a, a, a tragic and personable character that I, I can't see the Punisher any other way myself. And if, uh, you know, Marvel and Disney don't find a way to bring him back as the Punisher. And to be fair, Charlie Cox is Daredevil and Kristen Ritter is Jessica Jones. I think, Almost all of the casting in the Netflix shows was so perfect that uh, that it'd be a shame to have that talent go to waste or have to reboot them in some way. So two quick things. Number one, I'm kind of with you on Punisher. I never got super into it, but the one Punisher story I love is the Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon, Welcome Back Frank story, which 
I would recommend to anyone who wants to get just like a good Punisher story. And I think Bernthal takes off from that. But I think honestly, Frank Castle is a character who, if you're portraying him on the printed page, is going to come off just kind of, he's, he's a movie monster, basically. He's, he's Jason. He's Freddy. He's just this insane presence who just lives to destroy. But when you put him in the hands of a skilled actor and, um, you know, a writing staff and a director, I think there, there are layers to mine there. And I agree with you that, Bernthal did a great job on the Netflix series. I would argue another one, a big one, um, a formative one, is a, a character who has never been as cool in the comics as he was on screen was Blade. Blade has three huh. badass, badass movies of, you know, varying degrees. The third one's pretty bad. But <laughs> Wesley Snipes' Blade is just this... Think about it. When Blade came out, can you name, like on one hand, like, five great Blade stories from the comics. He was well, just this... I, I mean, I haven't read a whole lot of yeah. specifically Blade comics, but even when he shows up, he always just feels like he's one of those just, like, uh, you know, uh, token C-list heroes exactly. in the back. Like, hey, we need someone to throw on, 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 on the page here, you know? So, okay. Think about it with the Blade movies. That was, like, the first big Marvel movie, kind of, because that came out before Spider-Man, before X-Men, before the MCU, yeah. and it was just this... this how did this happen? Like, how did Blade become the first cinematic Marvel superhero who really landed? And Wesley Snipes is fantastic. He he dove into that character. And not only all the Blade stories before the movie don't measure up, but I don't think they've been able to tell a Blade story in the comics since the movies came out <laughs> to capitalize on Blade. So it's just this weird alchemy that the movies just make Blade work in this way that, like, they have not been able to replicate. And I think it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and, and I'd like to point out just one more time, too, that, you know, the, the idea of this discussion isn't to say that any of the other characters or any of the other portrayals in the MCU or even in the DC side of things, you know, isn't good as well. Because I think mm -hmm. that we are living in, like, a platinum diamond-encrusted era of comic book entertainment across the board. You know, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is amazing. Uh, Brie Larson as Captain Marvel is amazing. Gail Godot but, as Wonder Woman. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Gail Godot as Wonder Woman is amazing. That would be the close. That'd be the closest I'd say to my, my DC side of, of, of this argument. Even though I've read great Wonder Woman stories, mm -hmm. I don't know if I've read any Wonder Woman story that resonates with me as much as Gail Godot's portrayal. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I'm actually reading a lot of Wonder Woman right now. Uh, uh, I just read through uh, Trinity mm -hmm. um, last night, and I, I love reading Wonder Woman, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with Batman. You know, I think that they, the way that they're portrayed in the comics is just as good as they're portrayed on the screen. You know, in, in fact, when I was reading, uh, when I first started Kelly Thompson's uh, Captain Marvel, you know, that was one of the things that I noticed because a lot of people like to compare, especially right now with, with Captain Marvel, uh, you know, rumored sort of taking over Cap's role in the MCU, that those are the two that I kind of compare one another to a lot. So as I was reading Kelly Thompson's Captain Marvel, I'm like, I don't have any of the same hangups about her as I do about Cap. Like, she is a great <laughs> character top to bottom through and through, and I couldn't read those issues fast enough. Um, one of the one of the other last one I think that I want to mention, and not that Rocket isn't done well in the comics either. But Rocket Raccoon, the, the and this is more just to Bradley Cooper, but the amount yeah. of times that I have to remind myself that, is Bradley that that's Cooper. Bradley Cooper yeah. <laughs> doing that voice is incredible because I mean he's a great actor, of course, but I don't a lot of the times I don't think I put him up in the same echelon that I do like, you know, the really, really great iconic actors. And and I think that he probably deserves to be there. 
Um, I remember seeing a recording once of of him, you know, doing the voice for Rocket. It was it's an incredible clip to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Im- immensely talented, and yeah, that's another that's another good one to close out. So uh, with that, guys, our MCU uh, talk, well, comic book talk, isn't done just yet. Uh, coming up, we're actually going to talk about what we think are some of the most underrated comic book movies of all time. We'd love to know what you guys think, so stick around, listen to what we have to say, and then make sure you go to social media to let us know if we're wrong or not, because some hot takes are about to happen. Hey, what's up? It's James. And Robbie. Hey, and it's Weird Beard. And we're bringing you a brand new radio show called Checkpoint XP. You don't have to be an expert, even though I am. And we're here to give you everything you need to know about the world of video games. Interviews from the biggest professionals and your everyday gamers, we've got you covered at Checkpoint XP. Whether you're a professional player or somebody who hasn't played in a while, we have something for everybody. Hang out with us at Checkpoint XP every single week on your radio. Find out where we're playing in your hometown at our website, CheckpointXP.com. So if you're looking to have some fun and talk about video games, we got the rundowns for things that matter to you. Checkpoint XP. Your home for esports and gaming. You got it that time. Yes. (laughs) Nailed it. Welcome back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for downloading. We appreciate that. We appreciate it even more if you love the show and if you're this far, I assume you have. If you let your friends know about it, we've actually been seeing some great download numbers, some huge, huge growth here over the past past few weeks. So let your friends know. Check out the other identity, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you find your podcasts. And if you guys start leaving some reviews for us, we might even read them here on the show. So uh, last segment, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the performances in the MCU that we thought were, you know, as good or better than what has been depicted on the pages. And now I'd like to continue along that thread a little bit, stay within the movie realm of the comic book world, and talk about some of the movies that we think are the most underrated. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to start first here uh, with a movie that, that I still to this day cannot understand why people lambast it so much. And that's Age of Ultron. Mm. Age of Ultron may actually be my favorite Avengers movie. So when I first watched Age of Ultron, when it first came out, I was kind of in the camp that you're you're singling out. Um, I thought it was long. I didn't care for the portrayal of Ultron as being kind of humorous. I thought they tried to make him too much of a dark Tony Stark. Um, I just, I, it, it wasn't my favorite. But I have since very recently gone back and revisited like within the last few months i've rewatched it and i am with you that it's it gets it gets a bad rap for no reason uh age of ultron's a really good movie yeah to your point about ultron you know kind of seeming a, a, a i guess a, a, i haven't read a whole lot of how he's di- displayed in the comics so i guess mm-hmm. i can't really you know think or, or speak to that but you know the mcu has always been such a reflection of tony stark and right. i mean Ultron was essentially supposed to be the dark version of of him, you know, and I thought that that the juxtaposition of those two characters, especially with the whole like sort of father creation slash son dynamic, I thought was great. But for me, the thing that really sets Age of Ultron apart 
is the first Avengers, you know, was about them coming together. They're a brand new team. There's some kinks they have to work out. They've never worked together before. It's the first time that they've tried to sort of come together. Uh, and then even in Civil War, which is the Captain America movie, but a lot of people like to call it Avengers uh, uh, 3.5. Um, you know, in that, they're already starting to break up. And so then by the time that uh, Endgame and Infinity War come around... They're, they're being broken up. They're not together. They're not a cohesive unit. Age of Ultron is the only Avengers movie that we have where, even though there is still some infighting, you know, because of what happens with Ultron and, you know, Tony being Tony, that's still the only film that we have where you see them together as a family unit before all of those walls and all that trust starts to break down, you know? Mm -hmm. The Uh first fight scene at the beginning, the party that you get at Tony's place, you know, the way that they're working together even, you know, in in, in the final scene at the end, that is the only movie that we get those Avengers in. But the broken, fractured ones, we have those in the first one, we have them throughout Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. And, I mean, I don't know if maybe that's the weird thing that people aren't, like, sort of glomming onto, but, like, to me, again, that that's all about what, to me, what superheroes are about. And I've never been a big fan of infighting within groups, uh, so maybe that's another reason that I latch onto that one so much. But, I mean, honestly, I just, I thought that the whole movie, all of Age of Ultron, was uh, was great from start to finish. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I think what I think what you're you're finding out is that people are very into beginnings and endings, and that kind of here's a here's a slice of life mission. Just this is just a mission of the team. Like we're not this we're not forming the team. The team's not breaking up. This is the team working together. Sometimes is a harder sell, but honestly, that is the lifeblood of a superhero franchise. Uh, now, I mean, obviously, there are some things about it like Thor's whole thing I thought was uh weird and probably need to be in there his whole going off to get a vision mm. type deal and uh you know I, I know that the 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 Black Widow storyline in there as well uh disappointed a lot of people but um I don't know Age of Ultron probably my favorite Avengers movie uh what about you though Ben what's one of your most underrated comic book movies I was thinking this through I was kind of going through the MCU and um I, I I am gonna stick with the MCU for this one I think one I know it's divisive but I don't understand how more people don't think this is one of the best MCU movies, and that is Iron Man 3. Um, I, oh, dude, I love (laughs) Iron Man 3. It's so funny. It's got so much heart. It's got great Robert Downey performance. Um, I know people hate the, or love the Mandarin thing with Ben Kingsley. I personally am fine with it. I think it's, tough to do that character on the big screen so I like the approach they took but I don't know there's just like there's a humor to it and I love the action and I love the effects I I love the original Iron Man the original Iron Man to me is still one of the best uh, Marvel movies ever made Uh, I have that very high on my list Iron Man 2 is fine um, you're not going to make a bad Iron Man movie with that cast and those people but I think Iron Man 3 stacks up almost to the level of Iron Man 1, just in terms of, I love everything about this movie. All right, I'm not going to say that it stacks up to Iron Man 1, but I will admit, similar to you in Age of Ultron, that uh, when when me and my girlfriend went back before Endgame uh, came mm-hmm. out and we, you know, did the whole marathon thing, uh, I did find myself enjoying Iron Man 3 more than I had remembered 
doing it before. Um, I too was a little bit upset with the with the whole uh, uh, Mandarin reveal, but I got over it. It's fine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think, and, and obviously, the, you know, the way that they showed his PTSD was great. His relationship yep. with the kid was great. But for me, the biggest missed opportunity, and, and I think still to this day, this is what kind of ruins this a little bit for me, is the uh, the the lady scientist that he talks to uh, near the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. She was supposed. Yes, she she was supposed to be the original like big bad, right? Mm. So when you see the twist, she's the one who was there, and instead they brought in uh, Killian. Yeah, was it? Alder and the Killian. reason, yeah, the reason they brought in Eldritch Killian uh, instead of just keeping her as the villain was because they didn't think that the lady scientist would sell enough toys. Oh, and that, I've never heard that, but that's really that is that is unfortunate. Yeah, I definitely I, that sours me a little bit. It does. It it absolutely breaks my heart. Um, but uh, uh, otherwise, but underrated. I definitely think that it deserves the underrated title. Yep. Last one that I have here is I contend. That when it comes to importance of a movie, maybe not whether or not it was a good movie or not, but you cannot change my mind on this. Thor Dark World was one of the <gasps> most important. <laughs> Thor Dark World was one of the uh, most important movies in the MCU. Change my mind. Let's let's hear the rationale. Why is this so important? Uh, because that was the first time that we heard the phrases uttered infinity stone it was at that moment Mm -hmm. that movie that suddenly the expectations for the rest of the mcu and what they had been building from from iron man was revealed that movie is such a slog to get through it is such a waste of a great villain in malkith uh, it's oh, that, so, there's, that there's so much bad true. about it. If your whole rationale is they drop the mention of the Infinity Stones and that that I'm not going to watch however long that movie is to hear <laughs> one mention of the Infinity Stones, I will just skip to the next movie and pretend that they're they're mentioned there. That's look, that's, but uh, that's I mean, a look, hard going, sell. I'm not telling you to even go back and watch it now. Good, right? I won't. But when <laughs> but when it came out, like that changes everything, right? Yeah. Like suddenly you. That's the point where you can look back on the rest of the movies and realize all of the all of the the building blocks they had been planting that whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're watching through it and it's like, "Oh, okay, this weird A3 thing that goes into whatever. No, no one cares what that is. Who gives a crap?" And at the end, you know, you can't put two infinity stones in the same place. Like that that was mind-shattering at that point. That look, that's what they were working for, and that happened in Thor: The Dark World. Let me ask you this though, isn't that a post-credit scene? It is, yes. All right, so that post-credit scene, and that's with the collector, right? With Benicio del Toro. Correct. That post-credit scene, if I recall correctly, was done by James Gunn and the Guardians of the Galaxy team. So it was not the Thor: that The Dark World does team. Not sur- that does not <laughs> surprise me. Unfortunately, it was still in Thor: Thor the, the Dark, Dark World. World. Fair enough. Fair enough. Technicality. Most important movie ever. All right. <laughs> Did you have any other ones that you wanted to throw in there for contention for underrated? No, we're running too late for me to get we into my full thoughts of. Yeah, we're running too. We're running too late for me to get my full thoughts on 2003's Daredevil, but we'll get there. We'll get. Oh there. my gosh. Okay. No, you're right. We are out of time today, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's called Thank you teaser. for joining us <laughs> for the other identity. Uh-huh. Maybe next time we'll talk about 2003's Daredevil. I will definitely have to go back and rewatch that one in order to be uh, properly equipped 
for that discussion, guys. But uh, as always, make sure you join us on social media. That's Checkpoint XP on Twitter and Facebook. Robbie underscore Landis CP on Twitter and Ben J M O R S E on Twitter as well. Let us know what you're reading, what you're looking forward to, and uh, what you'd like us to talk about on this show. Uh, if you guys want to help craft what a, a future other identity would look like, that's how you can do it, guys. But until next time, make sure you stay tuned to that same other identity channel, same other identity time.